welcome to the Production Talk podcast with me, Jan of MixArtist.com.au. In this podcast series, we celebrate the modern way of producing music. We want to talk about all things related to songwriting, recording at home and music production. So if you produce your music at home, this is the place to be. Please subscribe and recommend this podcast to all your friends. This is the Production Talk Podcast, Episode 30. Welcome back to another episode of the Production Talk Podcast. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land that the following conversation was recorded on, the Arakwal people of the Banjalong Nation, and pay my respects to ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. Today we are following up on last week's episode with Sophia Stone and speak to the mastering engineer who mastered Sophia's song Long Road Home. Today's guest, Talia Rose Coleman, is one of the mastering engineers at Studios 301 in Sydney, where she works among industry legends such as Leon Zevros, Simon Cohen and Steve Smart. Studios 301's mastering department is among the most respected mastering facilities in Australia and beyond, with a worldwide clientele and countless influential releases under their belt. We are going to speak about many different aspects of mastering, the technical elements as well as the creative elements. But enough of this now, let's go straight to the good stuff. Here is my interview with mastering engineer Talia Rose Coleman. I'm absolutely amazed that you could be with me today. It's it's phenomenal to have you on board. And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Talia. Thank you so much. Welcome on board. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's phenomenal to have you. Say, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, about uh, your your passion, which I guess you have for music, about your career and, and your path? You know, you were working as a mastering engineer at Studio 301 in Sydney, which is, I guess, one of the most prestigious jobs in the country. I'm very excited <laughs> about hearing more about your way to, to this position. Yeah. Um, it definitely was quite unexpected. Um I'm not sure, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really know audio engineering was a career. I started playing drums and I was in a lot of bands and was really excited about that. And, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you're thinking about your career and what you want to do when you grow up, everyone says that music's not really a, a good choice and how are you going to make a living from that? And I kind of, you know, I panicked a little bit and I wasn't sure. And I saw, um, you know, at concerts and in venues, live sound engineers and what they were doing. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. You know, maybe I could do that. I could stand there. I'm still a part of music. Maybe I could be on stage and in front of the stage or, you know, doing both of them. So mm. I had a look around And I uh, found the audio engineering course at SAE, uh, which stands for School of Audio Engineering. Um, but they do a lot of other courses now as well. So I applied there and I got in and I studied audio and it was really cool. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> you know I, there was a lot of people in the course who were djs or they'd had some yeah. experience i came into it really not knowing anything i played the drums okay. that's all i knew and so it was a bit of a, a scary kind of world i didn't know i didn't understand what compression was i didn't know what reverb was really um mm. so it was a a really big change but i was very excited to get into it. So I finished my course and I immediately went into an internship at Studios 301. So that's how I came here. And how long ago was that? I started uni in 2016. So it was a two-year course and probably towards, I don't know, about June or July of 2017, I kind of had that moment of, okay, now what? I'm about to finish my course. Yeah. 
how do I get into the industry? <laughs> you know, <laughs> the there's big a, question. there's a, yeah, there's a lot of people in the course, you know, a lot of people had started getting into live sound. I was doing a bit as well. Um, just here and there, and I, you know, it wasn't overly consistent. And I was really interested in going into the studio. I wanted to record. I wanted to mix. I wanted to do that instead of live. I had kind of changed halfway through uni. You know, my idea of what engineering was and what I mm -hmm. wanted to do. And I happened to stumble upon an event that Three Hundred One was holding. Uh, what was it for? It was for Aria Week. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, they threw an event and I put my name down and I showed up and I met everybody and they asked if I wanted to come an intern. And so I said, yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah, and at this time I was actually living up on the Central Coast. So I wasn't even in Sydney. And I said, yes, it's like probably three or four months later, I moved out of home, came to the city and started interning here at the studio. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was all just like, there was no breaks. It was just like, finish high school, go to uni, finish uni, go straight into an internship. And it was really cool. It, so I started my internship when 301 first opened here at the new facilities in Alexandria. So I mm. started with the new building, which was really cool. Well, okay. That was a big build. The new facilities yeah. are amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's um, it's very we're very lucky to have a facility like this in Australia. Yes, yes. Um, that's world class. And yes, and just to be a part of that process as an intern, helping you know set up the studios and helping patch everything in and learning all about that as well um, was just very eye opening. And yeah, it was just a really exciting time. I was surrounded by all these great engineers that I had read up about, you know, I'd seen okay. them, they were my idols, and then I was interning in the studio with them. So it was a little bit daunting, of course. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was kind of my path. And how I got into mastering was was interesting. I was, I was interning, and uh, I don't know if you know Steve Smart, the I mastering do. engineer. Yes, he's, yeah. uh, he's um, mastered my, my mixes before. He's, yes, he's a legend. He's quite yeah. legendary. Yeah. Yes. Um, he's done some great albums in his time. And I was always a big fan. I was just a little bit too scared to uh, talk to him. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was only, I was only like, I think I was 19 or 20 and I was pretty green. And uh, he came up to me one day and I had asked him a couple of questions about mastering because I was really interested in it. It seemed like such a dark art. And he said, you know, would you like to come into the studio one day? Um, I'm mastering from tape, which oh, is wow. pretty, yeah, it's pretty big in itself. It's not common to master off tape. And he asked if I wanted to come in and be the tape operator. And I was like, yes. Of course. And then I went home and Googled how to use a tape machine. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. easy. <laughs> no, a lot I, to and it. I, and you know, like it's not really something that my generation has ever used or have had to use. So I went home and I Googled it and didn't get very good answers, but I was like, I'll do my best. I'm going to come in. I'm going to work with Steve for the day and watch him master. And I I really didn't know what I was doing. Like I couldn't tension a tape. I, I didn't know what the buttons were. It was a good time, but I must have made a good impression because he decided to take me on and mentor me in mastering. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you learned from and one of the best in the business. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So. That was probably two, two years ago, and he just offered for me to come in and sit with him as he was mastering things. He'd explain his process because Steve is uh, an analog mastering engineer. He doesn't use any plugins. He's completely old school. Okay. So it was very different because I had started mastering digital, and I was going back to analog with him, but I think it 
helped a lot because, you know, it's all hands-on. You're not looking at a computer screen. You're just listening. Mm. And, yeah. That's so, so I true. just kind of I sat in with him for a couple of years just learning from him and then he said, okay, now go into the studio on your own for as much time as you need. This is you make the call when you feel ready to start mastering. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever be ready. <laughs> mm. um, and so that's, yeah, he kind of let me into his studio on my own where I would, you know, bring in my own songs or I'd pull up uh, work that he had done previously and I'd master it myself and then I'd listen to his version and okay. see, you know, yeah. how close I'd get to it or if mine, you know, he was like, who knows, it, you might do a better job than me. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and now here I am. So I finally, you know, said probably half early last year, just before lockdown, I was like, I'm ready. Let's wow. do this. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's so a that's f- phenomenal progression. story. <laughs> Excellent. And tell me, what's a typical day like in the mastering engineer's world? You know, what do you do when you arrive in the morning? What do you do throughout the day? How does a day of a mastering engineer look like? Oh, I mean, it depends. I I would love to say I had enough work that it was a nine-to-five job. <laughs> um But if I had maybe an album or so, that would take up a whole day. I get yeah. in in the morning, I turn everything on and let it kind of warm up, you know. I'll go make mm. a coffee while everything starts up, especially all the um, analog equipment, you know. You just got to give it yeah. time to have its own coffee, get it, get it <laughs> some energy running through it. Yeah. Um, and then I'll normally sit for a bit and listen to a few songs that I know really well in the studio just to like kind of reset my ears in mm. this environment. Um, yep. Especially if I hadn't been in for a couple of days before or, you know, I've had some time off or come in and I'll just have a good listen, you know, and then it kind of, you know, sets my head into the right, you know, space for mastering. And then, yeah, I guess it depends on what I'm doing for the day. If it's a whole album, I like to have a quick listen through if I have time or I'll just, you know, listen to genres that are similar to it or if they've sent through any references, I'll sit down and have a listen. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I'll just get into it wow. <laughs> and just start wow. mastering and, and okay. see how I go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and who are the typical clients these days who needs mastering in in this world nowadays when you know i think per day uh, about 60,000 songs are released to spotify do they all go through professional mastering who of these 60,000 songs needs professional mastering who can get away without your services who who are the typical clients Ooh. That's a good question. Um, it's crazy just, first of mm. all, how much music is uploaded every day. Um, it kind of blows me away that there's that many creatives out there. It's yeah. awesome. Um, I would like to say that everything needs mastering. Okay. Um, but that's just my, I think, my personal opinion. As well as an engineer, we are very used to listening to a certain I guess you could say quality of music, mm. but that's not always the case. So there's a lot of genres out there, particularly, you know, uh, I don't know if you've heard of SoundCloud rap and types of, you know, different subgenres of hip hop and things where they might not necessarily need a really high professional analog or digital master. It might not okay. suit the song. Um, I don't, th- yeah, again, I'd like to say that everything should be mastered mm. <laughs> just because I think that it's really important for people's art. It's like the final, the final touch up, the final polish. It really gets right. it ready to be released. It makes it competitive. Yeah. It, you know, it really makes it stand out next to other top songs that are on the charts. And I think people don't necessarily always realize that or yes. that that is what mastering can do for your song. Um, But I think there nowadays, because of the way people are listening and what they're getting used to, 
there's a lot of music out there that people are just chucking a limiter on at the end mm. and just turning it up, and that's the uh-huh. sound. I know. And people are getting used to that sound. That's right. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure what you think, but I... Th- I'm dying to hear your take on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is... I think it can be done better. I think a lot of these songs would stand out a lot more to me if they had been mastered properly and not just being crushed by a limiter. Mm -hmm. But I also understand that it has become quite stylistic for a lot of tracks as well to just be, you know, smashed by a limiter and that's the sound. It's just clipping, it's... It's kind of distorting. It's just really hot, and that's yeah. that's what it is. And I respect it, but I would like them to mm. master it. <laughs> uh, let me just think, rephrase that question. Maybe have you ever received a mix that didn't need any of your work, where you just said, "No, there's nothing that I want to do. It's just perfect the way it is." Mm, no, I haven't yet. Maybe in terms of creative changes, there's been maybe one or, you know, a couple of songs where I've gone, you know what, I didn't even need to do any EQ. I didn't need to correct anything. Yeah. I've just turned it up. I've done compression that allows it to jump out of the speakers and make it sound professional, like it's right in front of your face. Okay. And I've got it to a standard and a level that is good for Spotify. Did I need to do any creative changes? No. It was Mm. well-balanced. It sounded really good. But I've just turned it up and made it really stand out. So if you're in the car listening on the radio, it's just like right there, you know? Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So that means, you know, for every song you've received, there was something you could do to make it better than it was before. And I guess that yeah. answers the question in, in many ways that, you know, if people think they, they do it themselves, well, maybe they should give it to you and you could take it to the next yeah, level. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I, what they're doing is great. It sounds good. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things that we spend hours every day doing that not everyone can necessarily do. Yes. And a lot of that, isn't always creative changes. So it might not always be, you know, making that kick a little bit punchier or making it a little bit brighter. But the skills that you learn to make things louder without distortion, without losing that sonic quality of the track and making it, yeah, making it jump out of the speakers and sound professional, sound like it's right there with you, like you're mm-hmm. in a live performance that it's like it's just there in front yes. of you. It's not sitting in the speakers. That's a different skill, and I think that is something special that mastering engineers have, and that's the difference between chucking a limiter on it and mm. just turning it up and actually yes. bringing out the performance of the track. Well, that is so well said, and, you know... I once uh, ran into a client who basically said, oh, I mastered myself. You know, I've got this plugin and preset three is the one that I always use. And I was just <laughs> pulling my hair out when I heard that. And I wish that person could listen in now and hear, hear your take on it because that's exactly the opposite. So is it fair to say that mastering is like a custom treatment that is different for every single song? Or do you sometimes find yourself going back into the same procedures or same settings? I I mean, I, it might be a bit different because I work in analog now just yeah. because of the way that I was mentored by Steve. So we can't save anything. Oh, um, I have to write everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have yeah. to write everything down by hand once I'm done. Okay. So that I can remember what I've done. Yeah. And so if I ever have to change anything, I have to go back to my notes and read what, you know, we've done. Um, I think... If it's a particular genre, you start learning a few different skills like, okay, well, Mm. if it's pop, we know that 
you know, maybe this type of EQ really works for a radio track or I know to put on this limiter because it's really going to get those high frequencies that if it goes through a radio, it's just going to compress it and make it sound terrible. Okay. So there's a few different, you know, you kind of know a few techniques for different genres or you know that the Amtex that we have here are really good for brass or the manly compressor is really good for rock. So you've got kind of, you know, a few different tools. Yeah. But specific settings, I don't really have any. I like to just, you know, start playing around and see what sounds good. Yeah, I spend a lot of – I I would be happier to spend a little bit more time being creative and, you know, seeing what works – and, you know, maybe going more overtime than you normally would mastering a track just to see what I can bring out of it then to go, okay, well, here's my standard EQ that I know for pop and I'm just going to chuck that on and it's mm. going to be good. Well, my suspicion is that a lot of people who do mixing and mastering and sometimes people refer to us as, as mixtering, you know, where it's just bundled <laughs> together, that that's often yeah. what happens. Um, and. I know the discussion a lot from from my own clients who approach me and ask, uh, "Can you can you master as well?" And then I need to sort of talk my way out of it because I don't like to do that at all. Um, yeah, I, I just don't believe that mix being the mix engineer and also the mastering engineer. It's just not right because yeah. in, in my mind, when I when I switch to mastering, I'm still actually continuing the mix. <laughs> in some ways if that makes any sense yeah mm. yeah i i understand i think as well there is a benefit to having a different set of ears yes um at the last stage of the project i know um i also do a bit of recording and mixing myself and so i know that when you're mixing a song you've spent so much time yeah. in that song dissecting all the parts that it can be quite hard to kind of disassociate from being a mix engineer and then mastering it. I couldn't agree more. Or you've heard it for so long, you're not hear, you're not hearing it in a new way. Mm. And so if I mix things, I try and recommend my clients to go with a different mastering engineer or I tell them I need a good couple of weeks off <laughs> and then I'll master it later. That's I need to really idea. separate my brain from mixing yeah. and mastering because it's yeah. such a different process. Okay. Um, yeah, so I do agree. I think it's really good to have just a, a different set of ears at the end because there's always things that might surprise you mm. or that you know you might have missed because you've spent so long focusing on the snare or the vocals and you've just like your picture is a little bit distorted because you might have spent weeks on it, whereas a mastering engineer spends, I don't know, 45 minutes on it at most maybe. So they're really just like they're right there. Here's their first listen to it. Yep. They're doing all their changes and then that's it. They're not playing it over and over and losing perspective. Mm. Okay. Okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, I often explain that it's, it's a little bit like zooming in in – Pro Tools yeah. or Logic, you know, when you, you mix, you're just zoomed in really deep. And you, <laughs> you don't see the entirety anymore, but you know all the details. And yeah. uh, it, it's quite different in mastering. You've got to, you know, zoom out. Sorry, my chair just collapses on me. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen every day. Surprise. <laughs> this is the interlude, everybody. <laughs> 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 not very well prepared here with my okay that's better all right um, so where was i but you know when, when it comes to mastering you had to zoom out and just only look at the entirety mm-hmm. and sometimes ignore small details and you know yes, look at how, how very the big picture comes big together picture works yeah yeah, and, yeah and that, exactly it's a different mental state isn't it mm-hmm. mm. okay. yeah it, it definitely is do you sometimes find yourself struggling with mix mistakes do you sometimes need to go back and say listen can we just turn that kick down down by 10 dbs please or otherwise it won't come together does that happen yeah it doesn't happen often um fortunately 
I seem to have had a good run of mix engineers. So there hasn't been too many changes. The only thing that I've come across, and this is more from maybe bedroom producers and people who have mixed things mm. themselves, is that when working in your bedroom, it's not always well acoustically treated. So, um, true. so sometimes I get tracks that are just insanely bright, like piercingly bright. Yeah. And I just ask them, hey, you know, what what monitors are you working from? And, you know, they'll let me know and I'll have a look at their little frequency, you know, response of those monitors and there's a massive dip and I go, mm-hmm. next, that's you it. know, if you can just send me a track that's maybe not that bright next time or if you want to send me this one again mm. um, and just calm down a little bit on that yeah. that part because it's just so bright or um what else people have sent me tracks that are just too loud already yes and i've said i i can't really do anything else it's already so loud that i can't turn it up i need you to go back i need you to turn that all the way down because i'm not going to get the best out of your track yes. because it is already just it's on fire it's cooking mm. oh, okay <laughs> you know and there's too many cooks in the kitchen already, you know? <laughs> What's your recommendation? When, when people mix, should there even be a limiter involved? I think it's good to mix into a limiter um, of some type because you're preparing your mix for what it's going to sound like when it's mastered. So it's just like a very kind of, you know, quick reference of what it's going to sound like at that level. Um, and I think there are some mixes where if they haven't done that, the balance can be quite off. The second it's too loud, suddenly that snare is just crazy or the vocals are lost in the chorus. Mm. So it's a, I think it's a really good thing to do, mix into a limiter or something. But shouldn't the mix engineer ride the faders and do it that way on the individual signal rather than letting the limiter do it at the end of it? Yeah, I think... Automation is really good as well, of yeah. course. Like, I think you can achieve a lot that way. Um, but as well for the artists who are listening, you know, if they're listening to the reference mix, I know a lot of engineers who will send that reference mix across and that's their version with the limiter. Mm. And I mean, it's each, it's hard. This is a personal preference. Like, if I'm mixing, I mix as though it's about to be mastered. And I'm not sure if that's just because. I spend all my time mastering, so I'm kind of, you know, I already know what to expect. Yeah. You know what um, to do in mixing and what you can leave for mastering. Yeah. Obviously, you know that better I, than anybody else, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I just mm. think that whether you keep the limiter on the whole time or if you're using it there as a reference, it's just a mm. really good point that if you're bringing it up to a level for Spotify or, you know, Apple Music streaming, Having that quick reference just goes, okay, wow, the the f high frequencies in this are just way too sharp. And the second that we turn it up, mm. that's going bananas. We need to turn that down. It yep. just helps a lot whether they, you know, use it the whole time or not. That's up to them, I mm. guess. But it just really helps, I think, the mix engineer and the artist understand a very rough idea of what it's going to sound like. Yeah. once it's mastered and it's turned up to that level. And do you recommend doing this temporarily or actually to leave it on all the time and actually bounce through it before shipping the, the song to you? It de that's a hard one. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry I mean, about that. I've spoken mm. to a lot of mix engineers and I've heard both opinions. I've heard mm -hmm. people who say you always have to mix to a limiter. I've heard some that say you don't have to mix to a limiter. It's um, a bit of a personal preference. What makes your job easier? Which way can you can you make the most out of it? I think there is a degree to which you can use limiting and compression at the end of your mix. Like you can have it there to an, you know, I guess if we're going to get technical, if you're mixing around, you know, minus 20, minus 16 luffs or something, you, you know, it's quite low. It's there. It's just, you know, mm -hmm. looking after all the peaks in the track. 
um, but you're not cranking it really loud and then getting someone to master it. If you're doing it Got quietly it. and it's just more there to remedy peaks, mm. I think that's probably the best way to use limiting and compression at the end. So you're saying that it's not really whether you use a limit or not, it's it's how you use it. And yeah. do you understand correctly that you prefer it when people don't slam it into a limiter but just use it very, very subtle? Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Because yep. if you… I would call that glue compression, you know, that's yeah. the term that some people use, which is sort of I think, barely audible. But yeah, exactly. Just there. Yeah, I got it's it. It's definitely mm. the best. So think sandpaper, not a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think because, you know, a lot of clients, they want to hear it loud already when they get yep. that first mix back. Mm -hmm. And so engineers will keep it at that level because they're like, well, this is what the client wants. I'm mixing yes. that loud. And then they think that that can either go on to the, you know, mastering engineer. There's a lot of engineers who won't. They'll send that reference and then they'll have dialed it all the way back for mastering. Mm. And then, and that's great because then I can hear what the client has first heard, which is, you know, the, the one that's been slammed. I and see. then I can hear the one where the mix engineer has taken all that off, just left the glue. Yeah. But that they haven't just slammed it anymore. So it would help you if you received two versions of the song, one with you know temporary loudness improvement or limiting, mm -hmm. and the other one with back where you backed it off a little. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Um I mm -hmm. even have mix engineers who That's great advice. Who send a loud version and a safe version. So they're ah, like you can it. master You can master the track where I've slammed it a little bit. Um, you know, maybe they've been pushing into whatever their interface is a bit. They really like that saturation, so they've yep. pushed it a bit harder. And then they've also sent through a safe version, which is a lot quieter. I yes. tend to always use the safe version, but, you know, you might listen to both of them and go, okay, well, actually, it is a bit louder, so I can't do much to turn it up but that saturation's really nice on the guitar or mm. it's really just brought out that snare and I like that. Um, yep. So that's always a nice option as well where, okay, if you are a mix engineer that does mix loud and does slam things a little bit, send both versions. I'll have a listen. I'll see which one I like better. Yes. You know, and pick that one where I think I can get more out of the track. Yes. Okay. I think that's that's fantastic advice. That's gold. That makes uh, a lot of sense. Yeah, and you know, I know what it's like as a mix engineer. That you know, I just don't want to hammer it too hard on the master. But then the client say, "Wait a moment, it's not as loud as." And then you know, come all the typical names, and yep. uh, finding you know, having to navigate that. That's a really good way to do it. Um, let me just change the subject if that's okay. Um, Of a lot of uh, artists these days um, release a series of singles instead of an album or EP and sometimes bundle them up again as, as an EP at the end of it or an album. Would you prefer to receive all of those songs at once and master them or would you? is it okay to just receive you know, a single, let's say, every month or two months and then by the end of it you just turn this into an album? I would personally like to receive everything at the same time. Okay. And that's because once you get into that head headspace of mastering, you know what this album sounds like, you know creatively what you're going to do to it. You can yeah. really get in the zone and you can listen to it as an entire piece of work, yes. not just as individual pieces. Mm -hmm. So sonically, it will be more consistent. Yes. So, you know, Obviously, not every client can do that. They may only be able to afford to, you know, pay for one every month or so. But then there's occasions where myself or other mastering engineers I know, when they come back to do it as a whole EP or album, we've had to charge for a little bit of extra time because we've had to readjust one or two songs. Now we listen to them yes. in its entirety. We're like, oh, well, actually, we made the second song a little bit brighter than the mm. other three. So I'll just adjust that one and balance it all out again. So that's the only downside. It's not the worst thing. 
and you know often doesn't take a long time to readjust it for an EP or an album but I just find getting into that zone like okay I'm going to spend half a day I'm really going to dive into this piece of work yeah and just get the best out of the whole thing you know and enjoy it as a full body of work if you want to release yes. it one by one after that that's fine but it sounds great together it's not as choppy as I guess mastering one yes. by one so you're saying that if you master an album it still works as single releases but if you do the other way around if you if you have a series of singles they don't necessarily turn into a cohesive album by the end of it mm -hmm. is that right yeah yeah yep. that, that makes makes a lot of sense i'm one of the few people on this globe who still listen to full albums start to finish uh, i understand <laughs> i'm a dinosaur and a dying breed but i still enjoy you know the the journey that an album can have yep. how you know a transition from one song to another can actually make them better than each song individually yeah so, and i but, think that's great yeah yeah i i yeah. really enjoy it you know especially when i drive i just love to turn yeah. on an album and uh, listen to the whole thing but okay uh, that's another story so look these days uh, most clients uh, release their music for streaming services meaning spotify uh, apple and all of those um, some are old school and go back to the old days of cds um, doesn't <laughs> happen that often now i understand and some are even more old school and go back to vinyl can you do one master that is good for all of them Would that work? Uh, not really. Mm -hmm. So there's multiple different formats for each medium. So if yes. we wanted to start with vinyl, that's a lot quieter than streaming. So I'm not overly technical on how vinyl is made, but you know it has the little needle and that's what's reading the sound. Yes. So you need to actually br make it a lot quieter than what streaming is. You have to look at all the high frequencies that are going to be picked up by the needle and also what's happening with the low end as well. So mm. you might not use something called elliptical equalization in <laughs> uh, maybe in a streaming you know, format or something like that because you don't need it, but in vinyl you really want to tighten up that bottom end and make sure it's nice and clean you don't want to freak that needle out you want it to be really coherent and it takes yes. you know quite a bit of work just to turn it down clean up that top and bottom end make sure the needle's not going to freak out and fly off the vinyl um and so it's just a different process so you can mm. you can do cd and streaming together because you know they're the same format in terms of, you know, bit depth and all that fun stuff, 16441. Um, but vinyl is just because of the way the format is and the needle and the way, like, we used to record, it wasn't that loud. The loudness wars are just, they, they don't work with vinyl. Mm, <laughs> so that's right. It has to be done separately. I mean, you could send your digital track to a, a vinyl pressing house and they can turn it down for you, but they're not going to master it for vinyl. They'll just go, mm. oh, you know, let's cut the top and bottom end and like turn it down. You're not going to get the best result from that. So vinyl is important to have its own separate files. CD yes. is okay cd and streaming we normally do that in the same tracks because of the um the format that they are and because cd is still a really high quality track it's still a high quality format you know and some would say it's still the best sounding quality of audio out there that's debatable i'm not you know Definitely i'm not gonna go down MP3s. that rabbit hole <laughs> 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 that's true that is true so Yeah, it's normally vinyl is one part just because of how old school it is and the way that a needle, you know, turns grooves into music. It's just, it blows my mind. I don't even understand vinyl properly. It's even before my time, you know. Um, but CD and digital, um, they can be done the same. Okay. 
But that's that's really good to know. So if an artist wants to release their music, let's say, on streaming platforms and on vinyl, they need to allocate a bit of extra budget to get a separate uh, mm -hmm. master for that. Okay? Yeah. Good. Um, um, and yeah. then I guess just quickly, uh, we even – we have – Apple digital masters now, so Apple's changing the game even further. I was just about doing, to ask that. Great. Yeah. Please explain. Um, <laughs> so Apple digital masters, uh, it's a different type of file which is higher quality um, than your standard digital or CD master. So it's it's a bit debatable. If you haven't recorded in a high quality, there's no point turning a master into high quality and mm. that's a conversation we have often with clients but if you've recorded at a high quality then i think apple digital masters are great okay and yeah it's um that's a bit of a rabbit hole as well that one <laughs> yeah i know this is probably a subject for an entire new podcast episode but let's just very <laughs> briefly just talk about how that practically works so Apple now allows for higher sample rate and, uh, you know, um, the original sample rates definitely up to 96. I'm not really sure if they might even mm -hmm. go higher, but they also allow for 24-bit, which is very dear to my heart. I think that's yes. that's a really big step forward. And yep. I literally switched from Tidal to Apple when they introduced that change uh, because I can now literally listen to lossless audio from mm -hmm. from apple and uh, i personally enjoy that a lot so i'm I'm very excited yeah. about that change and thankful that they did it and i really hope they're building a pressure on the competition and force others to, to follow suit that's probably a good development because we still have the choice in, in apple to turn yeah. it down in quality on the listening end but the the masters are maintained so let's say you mentioned this argument of you know What's the point of making it uh, a larger file when the source was normal quality? So let's be more specific. We talk about sample rates here. So let's say if somebody recorded at 44.1 and mixed at 44.1, what's the point of providing a master at 96? Is, is that the problem that, that you were referring to? Yeah. Mm. So I think people start to get a little starry-eyed about yeah. high-resolution audio and Apple... It just, it, you know, it's very glossy. It's very exciting. And it is great when it's done properly, yes. of course. You know, as audiophiles, you want to hear lossless, high-quality audio. And the fact that we can stream that now yes. is really cool. But if you don't record and mix... I agree so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. But if you don't record at that sample rate, you know, at 24-bit mm. 96 kilohertz or... 192 if you really want to go that far um yep. but then you ask for that you're not creating a better sound you're actually just adding artifacts and you know filling exactly. in that space yes it's like if you got you know for people who may not completely understand if you had a really low quality photo and you tried to blow it up Oh, you yeah. know, you really wanted to, you yeah. know, get a mm -hmm. small photo and just zoom into it and it's just all pixelated and blurry. That's kind of the same thing. So That's right. That's right. And that's <laughs> what real life is. And it's not like on television where at CSI they just take this pixelated image and they blow it up <laughs> and suddenly you see all and the sharp details. That's not what life is like. That, that's a really yeah. good analogy. So you basically have a case there that if you want to, cater for you know edit, uh, apple digital masters at a higher sample rate it should start at the recording stage is that what you're saying mm -hmm. yes and and i think that's important i'm absolutely on board with that that's exactly what i tell my clients and that's how i work no, i just try to i mean never change this i understand I decide at the beginning and carry through i understand that yeah i totally and i know obviously like before apple and creating HRA files, like high-resolution audio, there wasn't, there wasn't really a need to record at such a high quality, especially if you're going to CD, you have to yes. go back to 16441. But now that we have this opportunity, I see a lot of mix engineers who are going back to recording 24-bit, 96, or even mm. just 2448, 
And that's great because then we go into mastering. It's like perfect. We have the right, you know, high quality version for an Apple digital master. Mm. And then I can sample right down to create CD or MP3 or whatever they need from there. It's so much better to start high and go low than Mm. it is to go, you know, start low and then try and go high. It doesn't really work. That is so true, and you just explained that so well. Um, that's that's really good to uh, to remember. You know, I guess we always need to consider what our computers can do, but modern computers are usually more than capable to record at, at a higher sample rate and definitely twenty four bit. So, I would say, you know, with sample rates, there's a certain area of discussion to be had, but when it comes to bit depth, twenty four bit mm-hmm. is mandatory. I w- that's at least my take. Um, yeah. When in tracking, it really makes sure. a difference. I can hear it if it's uh, was recorded at 16 bit. In mixing, things turn out grainier. That's the best word yep. I have for that. But I can pick it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. No, that's that's exactly right. It is yeah. a lot grainier, and um, I will often go back to clients if they've asked for an Apple Digital Master. Or they've asked for a custom format, which we can do here at the studio. You can book in for a custom format and I'll go back to them and say, Hey, you've sent me 1644 one, but you're asking for 2448. I don't want to do that because that's, you know, I'm sample rate converting. It's going to sound bad. It Mm. on paper, it looks like it's going to be better, but it's actually not. And I know that, you know, a lot of music is now done on the computer in the box. It's not always recorded. So it's actually, you know, it's easy for me to say, hey, can you just go back, export that at 2448 or 2496 Mm. and send it to me again, and then we're going to get a really good result. That is so spot on. Okay, so you just mentioned that a lot of music is now done all digitally. Um, For all producers, I think if we look at our email inbox, we all – that. There's a certain similarity. We have bucket loads of emails from all the plug-in manufacturers pushing <laughs> products yep. into the market and trying to sell us things. Uh, is your email inbox just like that? Mine is just oh full yes. With and I even had an I'm episode sure on, every on that day. subject. But look, <laughs> what I see again and again is that somebody has a new product out and they call it a mastering EQ, or that's a mastering compressor. What do they mean? How is that different to a normal compressor or a normal EQ? Is there a difference? Is that all snake oil? Is that marketing? Or is there a real difference? Well, what makes the difference between a mastering EQ and a normal EQ? I guess you could say it's it's like one is more like a microscope and one is you know, just even like one is a real high quality laboratory microscope and one is just a handheld. Just oh, with yeah. mastering EQs, it's incredibly specific. Yes. Like the the bandwidths that they have, the frequencies that you can choose from, the steps that you can take. The same with um compressors as well. You know, the ratios that you can choose on a mastering compressor compared to maybe mm. a mixing compressor where it's like, okay, you could do, I don't know, a ratio of one to two or two to four or three to six. There's a lot that just have, you know, kind of big steps and they're like, all right, choose one of three. That's all you got. Mm. Mastering compressor might be one, 1.1, 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. 1. Okay. 1. 1.1, 1.1, 1.2. And it's just so, everything is just minuscule steps. Yes, I see. And same with frequencies. Um, Mm. It's, it kind of, it blew me out when I first saw a mastering EQ and I'd been using, you know, Pro Tools stock EQ plugins and uni and it went up to 20K because all you can hear Mm. is up to 20K. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. We'd EQ up to 20K. And then I got a mastering EQ and it went up to 40K. And I was like, why? Outside the human hearing range. Yeah. Okay. Why, why? would you do that? What's the point? Please explain. And then I, it's all subliminal. It's all in yeah. your head. Like it's, but it's crazy how much it can change the sound. Mm. Um, 
so yeah, if you're going up to 40K, you're adding like air to the track and suddenly, and you know, you can't actually hear it, but suddenly the snare just pops out a little bit more or there's just a cleanness to the top of the vocals or just there's all these such subtle changes that you don't expect to happen because you can't hear above 20K. And that's the difference between mastering Mm. EQ and mastering compression is that it's just all these tiny things that a mix engineer or if you're using a mixing EQ or compressor might not give you that option. Like, for example, everyone knows what an 1176 is. Yeah. It has, you know, ratios of four, six, eight, and 12, or whatever it is. You know, there's four options. Pick one of four, you're good to go. Yes. With mastering, it might have 32 options. Mm, and just the difference between point one and point two could change an entire track. Mm-hmm. It's that subtle and it's, it's a little bit daunting still daunting sometimes i'm like oh 1.1 or 1.2 i don't you know it's just a tiny change but it makes all the difference yeah yeah i see so i guess an 1176 is probably typically used on individual signals but not on a subgroup or or even an entire mix yeah yeah okay that that makes a lot of sense um look from all the gear that you use on a daily basis which is the one piece of gear you would take with you on a deserted island? What's the one thing you can't live without? <laughs> um, that's funny. Um, probably the Elysia mastering compressor. It's right in front of me right here, and I can't see what model it is. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but the, the mastering compressor. Is it the Expressor? Oh, uh, the Alpha. The Alpha compressor. The Alpha. Yeah, that has just been amazing. And I bought the plugin recently as well. And I've trying to I've been trying to A B them to see, you know, is it really like the real deal? Mm. Um, that compressor is just awesome. It really is. And I use it on mixing as well. And I use it with every master that I do. It's just it's great. <laughs> I'm dying to find out whether the plugin is anywhere near the real thing. Is it like the real one? Ah, to be decided. I, yeah. um, I'm still having a listen and trying to A-B them. Like it's okay. for mixing and because, you know, mixing is done so much in the box now. I think it, it does hold up for sure, but nothing compares to this analog version. Mm. Like, uh, yeah, I would take this with me to a deserted island. I don't know what I'd do with it on an island, but <laughs> <laughs> it would come with me. It's just really cool. It's got... You know, it's got a transformer option in it as well, so you can add color if you want to. Oh, well, yeah. It's very clean. It's got a soft clip option, which is really fun to play with. Um, you can have it linked, or you can do mid-side mm. compression if you wanted to do that as well. Oh, wow. It's just got heaps of options. I didn't pick it. Um, so everything in this room, I work in the same room as Steve Smart. Um, he picked everything, and I'm not debating any of his choices. They are really good like the whole system is good but that <laughs> nice tools. that compressor just yeah that compressor just works on everything wow oh that's great yeah. to hear tell me a little bit more about your speaker system how is a mastering speaker system different to what mix engineers use or people have in their home studios or how is that different well we have here the pmcs Describe the sound. What, what difference in sound? What do you hear on mastering speakers that people may not be able to hear at home? Oh, it's a little bit terrifying how much you can hear. Like they're so transparent. Okay. You can just hear absolutely everything, every little mistaken problem that you may not have heard in mixing in a different room or mixing at home. Suddenly you pull it up in here and it's just like, oof. There's everything, everything good, everything bad, everything that wasn't meant to be there. Yeah, right. Everything that is meant to be there. And that's, you know, that's what you want because you're trying to look yeah. at the whole picture, right? Okay. Whereas a lot of mixed speakers are kind are quite musical and they're made to be musical. 
because you really want to get that vibe. Yeah. Mastering speakers aren't always musical. They're just exactly as it is, which is perfect because you just need to hear it as it is. You need to adjust things to make it sound, you know, better or get it ready. You don't want it to be musical. You don't want the vocals to be louder or, you know, you don't want to have a massive sub because you're not here to, you know, listen to the song necessarily as though you're, you know, one of the many listeners out there. You're here to look at it surgically and go, okay, this is what I'm going to do to make this sound awesome. Okay. So you get a lot of mix engineers who might come into the mastering room and they get quite nervous and they go, oh, I don't I don't know if I want to hear my mix in here. <laughs> like uh, it's going to show some things that I'm not ready to hear, you know, um, which is, yeah, it's, it's interesting how just, yeah, how they just show every little detail. Wow. Wow. Well, I guess that is another good reason why uh, mastering at home or mastering while mixing may not be the very best option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that explains yeah, that, I guess. Mm -hmm. For sure. What is your thoughts? What, what are your thoughts on STEM mastering? Is that something you do? Is that something that you believe is a good thing? I think that's widely debated. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's why I'm asking. <laughs> Yeah, I personally don't really have an issue with it. I don't get it. I don't often STEM master. Like it's very rare and I think that's because it's widely debated and I think people kind of are unsure. I think in the right environment, the right kind of song, it can actually do more than maybe mastering a stereo file. But there are often times you might get stems and you bring it up as is and you go, oh, actually, that sounds fine. I'm just mm. going to sum it all together and just master from there. I don't actually need to adjust any of the individual files. Okay. But there's been many a song where I've gone, oh, if I could just have those guitars on its own, just those guitars, because if I just adjust this, I'm going to lose the vocal. But if I brighten this, then... The snare's going to be too loud. And if I just mm. had those guitars on their own, so I could just do, you know, yeah. a tiny adjustment there, that would be great. So I think sometimes it's really good, but probably nine, you know, even 10 times out of 10, it's probably not really necessary. I think most tracks, you just get a really good result from yep. the one file. Yeah. Um, okay. And, Yeah, and if there are any major problems, I like to go back to the mix engineer or the artist anyway and say, hey, let's do a slight adjustment here and then bring it back and we'll see mm. what we can do again. And that's what you would prefer over having stems delivered to you? Yeah, like I said, I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. If someone wants to do it that way, I'm happy to oblige. I'm like, that's fine. We'll do it that way. I'll just bring them all up, you know, if I need to make an individual adjustment. It's a bit... I'll put this out there now. It's really annoying with analog because I have to run each individual one. Mm. I can't do it all at the same time. So I normally will go back to a digital master if I have to do stems yep. just because yeah. it's really time consuming. But I'm not opposed to either. I think it's kind. Of, it's situational whether we actually need stems. Probably not. Um. But there are some times where I'm like, oh, actually, that would have been quite cool. Or, okay. But then, you know, where's the line between are you going, are you starting to mix mm. or are you mastering? That's the discussion. And at yeah. what so point? It introduces yeah. mixing at the mastering stage. Yeah. yeah. And mm. would it just be better to talk with the client and take it back to the mix engineer and then bring yep. it back, which okay. is what I do often. Like I said, it's really I'm not sure about other mastering engineers, but for me personally, it's quite uncommon. I don't often get asked to do STEM mastering. Okay, good. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, you mastered a song for my friend, Sophia, which uh, yeah. is actually a song that I mixed uh, about a year ago. There was a lot of time in between. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a fair bit of a, a gap. And uh, I would die to find out 
what your thoughts are about the song when you received it. Um, did it need much work at all? Uh, were, were there any big problems with that for you? Honestly, that was a that was a really cool song. I brought it up, and um, mm. I think I was doing it on a weekend, so it was nice. I was, you know, fresh and ready for the day, and I brought it up, and I was like, "Oh, this is a, this is really cool. This is a bit Amy Winehouse, very bluesy. I really have fun with those tracks, and because of just the genre and the style, you can do a lot of creative work. And I listened to it, and the really good mix. Didn't have to do any corrective mastering. I just went straight into, okay, let's make this really hit. Let's really turn this into like a big piece of work so that really just sticks out, yeah. stands out. It just sounds warm. So it was quite cool. I used the Amtex um, on the track just to add a bit of warmth to it and it just, it's subtle but it changes a lot of the sound which was nice and I, yeah, I just had a lot of fun with that one. Um, Great. I didn't, yeah. I'm so glad that you picked up on that Amy Winehouse uh, mood because that was literally on my mind when I was mixing it. I sort of, you know, <laughs> often close my eyes and visualize the artist on a stage. And I sort mm -hmm. of, you know, saw an image of, of Amy Winehouse and sort of replaced it with Sophia's face <laughs> and saw her <laughs> acting out the song. And, you know, that's definitely something that was really deep in, in, you know, in the mix. And mm -hmm. I'm baffled that you picked it up. You know, maybe it was super obvious, but uh, I'm, I'm no, really I happy that you picked up on, on that. That's f fantastic. Yeah. No, it just like, just the sonics of that track, it was so warm. It was quite powerful as well, yeah. but it also felt a little bit lazy, but like in a mm. good way, you know, it was yeah. a little bit swung. It was just like, okay, Well, the track is like that. Now, how do I do a bit of a a swung, lazy, warm master, you know, yeah. without turning it into sludge with, you know, with keeping all of that, but just making yeah. it bigger and super powerful. Um, it was just, yeah, it was a really fun time, that one, because, it, again, I wasn't like, whoa, that's too bright or I really need to fix you know, this thing that's sticking out in the master, it was just, let's just play, let's try mm. this out, let's boost this, oh, that sounds, you know, that's a bit too much. Well, how about we try the manly compressor? Oh, that's a little bit too much saturation. It was just all about like, a, let's see how big we can get this and how beautiful we can get this. Mm. And it was, yeah, it was a really fun process. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you enjoyed that because I had a lot of fun mixing it and, uh, I'm not sure if you know, but uh, Saf recorded this song with very simple, basic means, and it was not recorded in a professional studio. So it's quite amazing to see how far she could push it and you know, how far yeah. we could take this song. Yeah, so, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah it, sound, uh, it sounded beautiful. Um, it sounds very professional and like, yeah, it just sounds great. I mean, your mixing was awesome. I just got to have fun with the master, which is always a pleasure when it's not, you know, always doing corrective stuff. And it, yeah, I'm just super stoked to hear what she has next as well. Because yes. that was yes. a really big track. Can't wait. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, um, if somebody wants to reach out to you, um, what's the best method to get in contact with you? So I have a page on the Studio 301 website. Um, so if you go on to studios301.com, you can see the little mastering panel on the top right hand. Click on it. Yep. You can see my face. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to book me for work, there's a little form down the bottom and you just fill that out. You can book in that way. I'm also on Instagram. My handle is Rosie's Audio because my name is Talia Rose. Excellent. So you can find me there as well. You can always send me a message. Um, My link to 301 is on there as well, so it all comes full circle. And yeah, that's it. Instagram Fantastic. and the website. And um, let's say if somebody mixes their own production at home and they're not quite sure if the mix is finished, do you offer mix feedback? You know, can somebody approach you and say, "Look, I think it's finished, but would you check it first? Is that something you offer? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, 
Um, I've done that many times. That's really kind. Not every mastering engineer does that. Yeah. Um, I do that personally. Also at the studio, we have um, our wonderful mastering assistant and mastering engineer, Harvey. He also listens to people's tracks for them as well if um, myself or other engineers are busy. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, if I have time, I'll have a listen to and I'll just say, hey, you know, adjust this or it sounds great. Let's go straight into mastering. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you spending the time with me today. It's a pleasure chatting to you. You're a wealth of wisdom. You know, that's that's really <laughs> good to uh, have this discussion. And uh, I hope to work together one day on another song. Who knows? We'll probably cross paths uh, sooner or later. Yeah, me too. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Of course. It was a pleasure. <laughs> or if I'm ever up in a... Byron, I'll come say hi. Yes, definitely. I would love to, you know, buy you a coffee <laughs> or a lunch or whatever works for you. If you're in the area, uh, please, please connect. That would be amazing. For sure. And uh, hopefully I'll make it down to Sydney one day again as well and stop by. Yeah. Come and have a look at the mastering room. Yes. Well, I've seen the mastering rooms before. Uh, I've had the tour <laughs> at 301 many times with my friend Stephen Crane. But we've never crossed paths, so I'm glad that happened today. So thank you so much for making the time today. Of course. It was fun. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing your mixes soon. That would be amazing. Thank you. Wow, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us, Talia. I'm looking forward to catching up again sometime and to working together on music in the future. Please check out Talia's work on the Studios 301 website. All the links are in the show notes. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please give this podcast a five-star rating in your podcast app. And maybe even a short review. That would absolutely make my day. Thank you. Also in the show notes, you will find the link to join the Production Talk podcast community on Facebook. That's the place to meet up with me. Have discussions, ask questions, and meet heaps of like-minded people. And as we finish up this episode, please think about all your musical friends and fellow creatives. I'm sure you know somebody who would enjoy this podcast. So please pass the message on and recommend this podcast to your fellow creatives. Next week, we are going to speak to a phenomenal person, a business coach and mindset specialist about the business side of being a self-producing musician and the challenges that come with it. This is all for today. Thank you so much for listening. Have a fantastic week and bye for now.